Have you heard about the reason there are wild Burmese pythons in Florida? This one shocked me. And the internet says it's true. Hey! Welcome. Welcome to The Internet Says It's True, where every week we learn something that sounds like I just made it up, but really true. Part of the WCBE podcast experience, my name is Michael Kent. People loved the chat roulette stranger feature on last week's episode. What a fun experiment. Who knew? I remember when chat roulette was a really sort of nasty part of early internet. You couldn't go on there unless you wanted to see stuff you never really wanted to see, but it's actually a pretty cool place now, and we'll definitely, uh, I think, yeah, we'll definitely be doing that again in the future. If you appreciate this podcast, please help out. Uh, Support the project by pledging your support. You can do that at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. You can become an official tizzitor. We do monthly meetups on Zoom. You can see all the video from the guests, including the chat roulette strangers from last week. And if you pledge at the $10 level, you become a producer, get your name read at the end of every episode, and you get access to shows that I do on the road. That's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. Now, for this week, it's a story that I'm really absolutely floored by. If you're scared of snakes, this may not be the best episode to listen to. We're going to be talking a lot about snakes. Snakes? Snakes, snakes. I don't know no snakes. So, let's get into it and learn about the Burmese python. Asking Google where the Burmese python is native to felt silly. Kind of like asking someone when was the war of 1812. But the python comes from more places than just Burma, otherwise known as Myanmar. They are also native to northeastern and southern China, Malaysia, Indonesia, and throughout Southeast Asia. They used to be found in the Philippines as well, but they aren't there anymore. You may have seen a Burmese python in a zoo. They're usually one of, if not the largest snake found in a zoo. They're also a popular pet because of their impressive size, their calm demeanor, and due to the fact that they're a non-venomous breed. So here are some facts about the snake. They'll always want to be in a warm climate near water, they're semi-aquatic, but they spend their early life in trees, and they're big snakes. The average length of a full-grown Burmese python is around 12 feet, but there are records of some of them growing as large as 23 feet long. And they're big old fat boys too, like as big around as a telephone pole some as big as 165 pounds. As far as appearance, they're usually dark brown with beige blotches, and on their head they'll have two lines that run across their eyes. So brown, black, and tan with spots and stripes on the head. You've seen one if you're a big wrestling fan and you remember Jake the Snake Roberts, or if you remember Britney Spears famously handling a snake at the 2001 VMAs, that was an albino Burmese python. In uh, the first Harry Potter movie, you may remember that uh, Harry, you know, accidentally makes the glass go away and his cousin ends up in with the snake. That was a Burmese python in the film. In the book, it's a Brazilian boa constrictor, but in the film, they used a Burmese python. And since they're non-venomous, the way they debilitate their prey is by constricting and wrapping around them. They squeeze, then swallow their prey whole. They hunt alone, and they eat a large variety of animals, from birds and rodents all the way up to pigs and deer. When people keep them as pets, they usually feed them mice, rats, and small rabbits. Burmese pythons usually have around 40 eggs every clutch every year after their second year of life, and they hatch after about 60 days, and during that time of incubation, 
The mother, this is kind of interesting, the mother creates warmth for the eggs by wrapping herself into a ball around them and then making these tiny little muscle movements that generate heat. When they're born, they're only about 18 inches long, and then they usually live 10 to 15 years in the wild and as long as 20 years in captivity. There is a story about one living longer than 30 years. Uh, quick story, I used to work in a magic shop when I was a teenager. And the owner had a pet Burmese python. And one thing you don't want to do is get near it after it's been fed. So one time the owner fed the snake and then soon after reached into the snake's habitat to change the water bowl. And I watched this thing bite his hand. He was able to get free, but not before having like a whole series of tiny pinprick type wounds across his hand in the shape of a snake's mouth. Lots of pain, but luckily he was fine and the snake was okay too. Nonetheless, it was a pretty intimidating thing to witness. It struck really fast. Until the late 1990s, you would only ever really see a python in America if someone had it as a pet or you saw it in a zoo. But all that changed due to a very surprising reason. And now some scientists say that there are anywhere from 30,000 to 150,000 wild Burmese pythons in South Florida. We'll find out why after a quick break. There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing balms, but unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to theinternetsaysitstrue.com slash deals for the link. If you love listening to this podcast every week and you want to show your support, that would mean a great deal to me. You can do that by becoming a Patreon member. We've got members at all levels, whether you want to pledge $1 a month or $10 a month. Just think about the value that you receive from this show. And if you like the histories and the stories that you learn about or the jokes that you hear, and if you think that they're worth it, consider signing up. For that, you get every episode ad-free and a week early, access to bonuses like the unedited videos of the guest appearances, and 20% off all merchandise. You can sign up today at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. That's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. We're living through the most dynamic time in human history, and what we do as leaders matter. We are the ones that create the leverage to shift directions of our companies, our nonprofits, and our communities. As a leader or an emerging leader, please join me for a dynamic conversation with top thought leaders, academics, and executives to learn more about how to elevate your leadership. I'm Maureen Metcalf. Join us at the WCBE podcast experience at wcbe.org. And good morning. I'm Jim Cantore here live in the Weather Channel Forecast Center as we continue to update you on an extremely dangerous situation, and that, of course, is Hurricane Andrew. Right now, my biggest concern is really twofold. It's one, those people who wait until the last minute to make a decision to evacuate or to prepare their home, and two, the elderly on the barrier islands 
who are reluctant to leave their homes but are very definitely in danger of losing their lives if they don't respond. That's right. You know, we were talking about the storm surge could go up anywhere between 13 feet or 15 feet. Common storm surges for these Category 4 type storms are up to 18 feet, yeah. so that's what we could see. Take a look now at what we have here. The storm, the most powerful to hit the United States in over 20 years, moved ashore at 5 a.m. and has all of southern Florida preparing for the worst today, Monday, August 24th, 1992. Late August, 1992. Hurricane Andrew made landfall on Homestead, Florida, just south of Miami. It landed as a Category 5 and was one of the most deadly, costly, and largest hurricanes to ever hit Florida. It killed 65 people and caused $27 billion in damage. As South Florida was struggling to rebuild, a story ran in the Fort Myers News Press the next month. An animal trapper, Todd Hardwick, had been called to a family home in Homestead. There was a nine-foot python near some bushes and four little girls crying. The lump and the python was their family cat. At that point, there wasn't much Hardwick could do for the family except capture the snake. He had spent the last month capturing all kinds of animals, wild, domestic, and livestock. Thousands of horses, cows, and pigs had gone loose when fences were destroyed. One facility had 3,000 monkeys being used for research. The hurricane had helped 200 of them escape. And there in Homestead, a breeding facility for Burmese pythons had been completely destroyed. All of the pythons escaped. 106,000 residents were still without power months later and all kinds of wild animals were roaming loose. The subsequent hurricanes in Florida can be blamed as well. Anytime homes and zoo habitats are destroyed, wild animals are let loose. That's not to say that's the only problem. People who buy exotic animals as pets are overwhelmed when they grow, and we've seen many people release their animals into the wild for this very reason. The pythons that were released in 1992 weren't the first pythons found in the Everglades. There are records of pythons being found in South Florida as far back as 1977, but not on this scale, and certainly not on a scale large enough to breed and grow into a population in the tens of thousands. When a new invasive species is introduced to an area with a favorable climate, they usually thrive. The reason for this is they lack natural predators in this new environment. This was definitely true of the new Burmese pythons in South Florida. The climate and the environment of the Everglades is definitely hospitable to the snakes, and their only real predator in the area are the alligators. But locals have also witnessed alligators falling prey to the pythons. The Everglades is an area 734 square miles and filled with abundant animal life. Food for the snakes is plentiful. And that's where we see one of the largest impacts of the new python population. A huge decline in the small mammal population was observed over the next decade. In the Everglades, 100% of the fox population was gone. 100% of the rabbit population gone. 99.3% of raccoons, 98.9% of possums, 94.1% of the white-tailed deer, and 87.5% of the bobcats. These animal populations were decimated, and it's believed to be due to the ever-increasing number of Burmese pythons. 
Some experts even believe the pythons are decreasing the numbers of the Florida panther, which already has a conservation status of critically imperiled. The mammals in this area simply haven't had a predator like a large snake. They know to be scared of alligators, but the last time a large snake like the Burmese python roamed the Everglades was 16 million years ago. So there's definitely a negative impact on other wildlife in the area, but what about people? Well, in 2009, Florida saw an example of what happens when a Burmese python gets loose around children. A python kept as a pet got loose and killed a two-year-old girl. And if the wild population of these snakes keeps growing, there's a real concern that these snakes will outgrow the wild area of the Everglades and start living in South Florida's more populated areas. Pets aren't safe from a wild population of pythons, but if those pythons' food source becomes depleted, they'll get desperate, and while they usually avoid humans, they'll do what they need to do in order to survive. This is where the story echoes a couple other stories that we've featured, namely episode 95 about hippos in Colombia, and episode 57 about the cobras in Mumbai, because the question becomes, what do we do about this growing Burmese python problem? And is it a problem? There haven't been too many run-ins with humans, and due to the fact that the pythons can't live in cold climates, they're sort of locked to the South Florida region. While they're endangered in their native area, they're thriving in the Everglades. The government in Florida has actually allowed year-round permitless killing of the wild pythons. In 2012, 20 years after Hurricane Andrew, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission held a 30-day concentrated Burmese python hunt. 1,600 people from 38 states participated in the hunt, and it only resulted in the killing of 68 snakes. Most of them were caught by the same seven hunters who had experience in the area. Another hunt a few years later was called the Python Challenge. This time, just over 100 snakes were caught. As of 2018, only around 1,000 of the wild pythons had been killed. Remember, they think there are anywhere from 30,000 to 150,000. Florida officials are lost as to ideas on how to solve this problem. They waited 20 years to really get serious about it, and now it's just too late. It's a problem for the local population and for the local wildlife. And as for the snakes? Well, the snakes are doing just fine. The internet says it's true. It's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend, and today we're calling my friend Matt Dillahunty. Matt is a thinker. He's past president of the Atheist Community of Austin, Texas, formerly a longtime host of the Athe Experience television show, and he's debated many of the leading theologians and religious pundits that you've heard of. He's also an avid herpetologist, meaning he loves and cares for snakes. He is joining us today um, you know, from Austin, Texas, and What's happening there in Texas? I've been watching the news and there's some just some craziness happening to the state house there. Yeah, I was actually supposed to go down and testify today, but unfortunately I wasn't able to, but my friend Aaron Ra was there. There's two new bills. One of them is gonna force people to put the 10 commandments in every single public school classroom. Um, that's gonna be challenged all the way up to the Supreme Court. And the other one is a, a bill kind of eliminating gender affirming care for minors is how they end up putting it because they'd like to pretend that you know we're just 
performing surgery on four-year-olds, which is something that never happened. Right. And so, yeah, it's um, it's getting a little little scarier in Texas. And unfortunately, I didn't go down and testify today, uh, but I had friends there, so I'm I'm at least cautiously optimistic that voices were heard, even if they don't make the changes that I'd prefer. Yeah, yeah. And I was just reading an article about Texas where there are something like I don't know thirteen seats up for grabs that are like within nine points that are that are are not safe republican seats that can be that that can actually turn the house uh in texas which which would be pretty incredible yeah there's there's teasing every election that oh texas is going to go blue or the texas house is going to go blue or you know whatever else and at this point i just want to replace the governor um and get anybody in who's going to actually listen to the science and not try to uh turn you know, marginalized communities into victims and props and ship migrants off to other states as a as publicity a stunt, which right. he's done. Yeah. Well, we aren't here to talk about politics and and I would love to sit and talk, you know, religion and politics with you. Uh, you're very interesting to talk to with those. But I didn't know until recently when you started posting snake content that you were so into snakes. How long have you been a, a snake person? Well, is, is that's, a, that's a difficult term? question, but I'll give is you the, the short version, the... which is I've always been into snakes. And in the early 90s, I wanted to start breeding ball pythons back when there were only three morphs. And now there's almost 300 morphs for ball pythons. When you pythons say morphs, alone. these are like different type, different um Yeah, different phenotypical presentations that you would see like albino or caramel. Some of them are pattern mutations. Some of them are color mutations. Um, and I been into the genetics of it but at the time i didn't have a i didn't have a house and my roommates didn't want me keeping snakes or more more to the point i think they didn't want me keeping rodents and if you're going to actually be a serious breeder which we're doing now i've got right now i've got 56 snakes oh my gosh um, yeah uh, but that means that i also have hundreds of rodents because if right. you don't want to go broke you're going to breed rats and mice and that's what we're doing that's amazing. Now, 56 snakes, how many different species? Well, 40-some of them are ball pythons, and then there's oh. two womas, uh, four corn snakes, three African house snakes, four hognose snakes. Uh, that's it for now. Wow. Hognose, is that venomous? Are any of them venomous? Are you allowed to have venomous snakes? I'm allowed to have venomous snakes. I do, I do not... So they actually fall into a couple of different categories. Hot snakes are snakes that are venomous and deadly to humans. Things like copperheads and rattlesnakes and cobras and things like that. You can you can have those in Texas with the, some of them with permits. I don't have any hot snakes. Technically, Western hognose snakes are venomous. They are in the rear fang venomous category along with garter snakes and a bunch of others oh. where the venom that they produce might give a human a rash maybe if you had a really adverse reaction if you're a if you're a little lizard or a frog you're really screwed but yeah apart from that hognose snakes are are harmless cute little shoveled nose things that only get to be a couple feet long and they're just they are all bluster they will flatten out their neck like a, a cobra and they will rattle their tails and they will hiss at you and they'll roll over and play dead and, and everything in the world to get you to leave them alone and then when you get them up in your hand they'll just kind of hang out there it's just fun. That's that's really cool. I've never I mean, I've handled snakes before. Um, I, I told the story in the beginning of this episode um, when I worked in a magic shop, the owner had a had a Burmese python and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and so I would handle it. I had no problem with it. I, I did watch it 
strike him once, uh, which was super scary uh, because they don't just strike. They rap as well. <laughs> and yeah. It was like, um, but the, you know, the end result of that is just a tiny, bunch of tiny pinpricks, not, not too much damage. So um, we, we are going to talk about snakes today on this, on this episode. So for this first question, Matt, we're going to play for a joke. If you get it wrong, you got to tell me a joke. If you get it right, I'll tell you one. Here oh, is that first question. Uh, Florida has come to have a large population of non-native and some would say invasive Burmese pythons. Which one of these describes the reason why? A, a combination of people letting pets loose and hurricanes destroying controlled python habitats. B, a shipwreck of a container ship that carried pythons in 1997. Or C, nobody knows. It's A, and it's primarily Hurricane Andrew. There was a massive breeding facility in Florida that was demolished from Hurricane Andrew. And that's where most of the uh, baseline uh, population of Burmese in the Everglades came from. That is absolutely correct. Um, Which is good because I didn't have a joke to tell you. Okay, good. So tell me a joke. <laughs> All right, I get one. Uh, last night I attempted to feed my pet snake a freshly grilled hamburger. Just the patty, no bread. The thing is, he wouldn't eat it. As it turns out, my anaconda don't want none unless you got buns, hun. Nice. Nice. Oh, boo. Okay. <laughs> you, uh, I, I'm okay with it. So Arden gets mad at me all the time because like she was gone for five days when she came back. One of the first things was, I'm going to throw a couple dad jokes at you just because you know it's really me and I haven't been replaced by a clone <laughs> while you were gone. By an AI Arden robot. Yep. Uh, so, you know, it wouldn't be fair. If, if these were all snake related, then you would know them all and it wouldn't be that fair. So I've also got some Florida related trivia for you. Um, for this next question, we're going to play for posting about this podcast on your social media where you, you know, you'll even have to tag the podcast. Maybe I don't know Whatever you want. Uh, the Everglades is the only place where alligators coexist with what other animals, a freshwater eels, B sea turtles or C crocodiles. Well, I'm going to go with crocodiles. The answer, believe it or not, is sea crocodiles. Um, and now that I read this, you know, there sea turtles was an iffy one. There may be sea turtles that are coexisting there as well, because the reason is where the Everglades meet the coast, there's brackish water and salt water where crocodiles thrive. They they also, uh, the, the crocodiles do travel further inland, though, according to yeah. Florida Fish and Wildlife. So, yeah, that's... I, I don't live in Florida. But I have, I went to boot camp there. I've spent yeah. a lot of time there. It would have been better to put manatees in there. Um, because while those aren't technically in the Everglades, the best place for manatees is there. But Florida fish and wildlife is currently under fire. Um, not only are they making just outrageous laws about what species you can and can't keep, they're making tegus illegal and they What's, eliminated what is that? What's most, a tegu? A tegu is a, uh, a, a large lizard. Okay. Kind of like a rhino iguana uh, in, in size. Um, they're wonderful. They're like, you know, they're like little puppy dogs, but uh, they're, they're making that illegal. And then also the Burmese reticulated pythons, all the big ones they have outlawed. And so they went into a facility to exterminate all of these illegal pythons that somebody had. And despite being told 10 times which snakes were, were to be exterminated and which ones weren't, they killed uh, by taking a, they got a little gun that they use a bolt to just drive a bolt through the snake's head. They killed a man's pregnant pet 
boa constrictor that had $50,000 worth of babies in it. Oh my God. Uh, it was a breeding facility. It was a, a moderately fair, uh, moderately rare morph. The, the video has been all over the internet and we now have body cam footage from one of the, uh, fish and wildlife officers there. Uh, this is, this is turning into a big deal, you know, mostly what's driving yep. this fish and wildlife. Is it a director or, or is this coming from the leadership of the state? Like a lot of the other stuff we're seeing in Florida. It, it's a mix of general ignorance from the people who are running fish and wildlife. And there are people who don't like the pet industry. Mm -hmm. And they don't like the fact that, oh, you're, re you're breeding these non-native species and you're selling them. Uh, there are people who only want you to be allowed to have kittens and puppies. Right. And they are trying to shut down exotic pet trade all across the board. So they will use a 20-foot, you know, reticulated python uh, as the scare boogie monster to get rid of a six foot, you know, um, doom rolls boa, or it won't be long before they're starting to come for the ball pythons and the stuff that I breed. Interesting. So I work with, um, us arc, which is the U S association of reptile keepers who are basically our lobbyists and they keep an eye on what's going on in different States because there's different laws in different States, but Florida really screwed up when they killed this guy's uh, boa constrictor. Wow. Well, it sounds like everyone's uh, on top of like at least knowing about it. There's awareness there. So that's where, you know, these uh, body cams are so important now. That's because this is stuff that would have just no one would ever have known about just a few years ago. Yep. Well, for the third question, we're going to play for a sticker. A t uh, The Internet says it's true sticker. I almost said, tell me what to Google. That's the that's the former name of this of this uh, show. We're going to play for I'll send you a sticker in the mail. If you get oui. this one right. So in 1965, which of the following was built in the Everglades? A, a government Nike missile site. B, a large and very secretive research facility for the criminally insane. Or C, a 25-mile bridge to nowhere. Uh, now, see, I know, there's a, so I know there's a bridge to nowhere in Alaska. And then I know there's a bridge to the Keys. Um, but I don't think there's actually a bridge to nowhere in Florida. So I'm going to go with B with B the, the research facility for the criminally insane. The answer, sure. a government Nike missile site. Uh, this was built in 65 by the army, army Corps of engineers following the Cuban missile crisis, of course. Uh, and it's one of the best preserved sites of the U S cold war era technology. It houses two Nike Hercules missiles and, uh, it's part of the national park service now. When it was active, it employed 140 officers to man the base uh, and in case of an attack from Cuba. And it's right there, right on the edge of like Everglades National Park. Really interesting. I looked it up on a map today when I read this. I was like, I've never heard of a Nike missile site in the Everglades. But The second you mentioned Cuba, I realized that should have been the obvious answer. 1965, <laughs> Cuban Missile 65 Crisis response. was the big hint there. Yeah, 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 65. But you know what? I'll send you a sticker anyway, or I'll give, give you one oh. next time I'm down there in Austin, which I need to come down. Uh, yeah. I've been talking about it I'm, forever. Come down and handle some snakes you've never handled. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, sit in and do a show with me, and I'll promote your stuff on social media, even though I got my question right. That's right. You don't need to, but you might anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you're two for three at this point. Question number four. Uh, we're going to play for a plug of your choice. So if you get it right, I'll plug whatever you want, whether it's your website, your SoundCloud, your Instagram, whatever it is, your show. Um, you have, uh, how many shows are you doing currently on YouTube? Is it just the one now or is it? 
No, I, I left the atheist experience. I do a Wednesday night show. I do a Sunday afternoon show. And then I do fill-in shows in addition to that, plus the debates. And then I'm actually reworking my Magic and Skepticism show because I'm doing the Secular Student Alliance convention in oh. June. Oh, that's exciting. Where's that? In St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. Which I did one of your, what was the show that I did? You, you did an episode of The Hang Up. The Hang Up. Oh, that was so much fun. I want to do that again sometime. We we need to, to schedule that again. I, I think we had another one on the books, and then I just was like completely overwhelmed and having one of those weeks, and I couldn't do it. So It's all good. My, my producer's right down the hall. I'll tell her to book you as soon as we can. Love it. Love it. Okay. Uh, which one of these is a strange feature of some boa constrictors? Mm. A, they've developed a call similar to that of birds. B, they're thought to be the oldest snake species, or C, they can reproduce without males. Well, C is definitely true. There's lots and lots of snakes that can and, and have been known to reproduce parthenogenically. And, and boas, like the, most of the snakes that I raise, pythons and everything else lay eggs, but boas give live birth. And so I think the parthenogenic C answer is the right one. You got this one right. See, I'm telling you, if it's about snakes, there's no chance. I don't have any chance. You're, you're going to get oh. every one of these. Uh, for those of you who didn't catch that word, parthenogenesis, that's a form of asexual reproduction that involves the development of an egg and into an embryo without fertilization. And a female boa constrictor studied by North Carolina State University researchers has had offspring through both asexual and sexual reproduction. So apparently some of, some of them can do both. Some of the reports of parthenogenic reproduction uh, initially were mistaken because one of the interesting things about my ball pythons is that, uh, and other snakes, they can retain sperm for up to a couple of years. What? And so, it you know, you can be like, oh, she hasn't bred at all this year, and boom, we got eggs, and you're thinking it's parthenogenic. And the way we, way we know is that parthenogenic reproduction is a direct clone of the mom see uh, we'll have all the genes from her if eating carol could do that this would be a different court case happening right now yeah uh, if, if she could just retain some some dna i thought you were gonna say that what would happen is like your ball pythons could would sneak out at night and then sneak back into their own enclosure before that you woke up i put up a trellis with a, by the rose garden and they come in and out <laughs> turn the lights off uh, well, you've done wonderful. You, you're three for four at this point. And for the final question, Matt, we're going to play for all the marbles. So if you get it wrong, you'll never be invited back on The Internet Says It's True. But if you get it right, I'd be happy to have you back. Here is your question. Sweet. What is something that people often get wrong about snakes? Ah, the biggest thing that I hear from people is that they're slimy. And while there are a couple of species that could be considered slimy, Almost no snake that you're ever going to encounter is actually slimy. They're dry. They each have different textures. They feel amazing to handle. And when people are like, oh, I don't like snakes, they're, they're slimy. Um, I know they've never actually handled a snake. That is a correct answer and very interesting when you think about it. I think, you know, maybe even, uh, gosh, is it is are people using slimy to mean slithery or to mean another word? Or are they literally people literally think it's just a slimy animal? I, I think it's a mix. I think yeah. that it's it's kind of like a colloquialism like you're talking yeah. about. But also, I think they like equate them with um, eels and, and sure. other things that might. Oh, that's a good give a, point. And, you know, they're slick looking. They're glistening. Yeah. Some of these like 
there are some some pythons that have some of the most iridescent, especially the, the incredibly dark black ones, will have completely uh, iridescent scales, yeah. and it looks like an oil slick. And so sure. I can see why people would think that. Well, that is fantastic. I'm I would be happy to have you back uh, on the show sometime. You got that one right. You went four for five, which is really good. Uh, what uh, What do you have coming up that we can that we can plug? Um, I'm going to the Seco Student Alliance National Convention in St. Louis in June. Okay, so people can look that up. up. I'll be there for the on the Friday night doing uh, my my 90 minute plus magic and skepticism show, where I do a bunch of magic tricks and use that to teach principles of skepticism. And I'm adding some new stuff to the act, some stuff that hasn't even arrived yet that I've I've ordered um, or or ordered replacements for. It's stuff I've done before, but that's exciting. When we stop recording, we'll talk. We'll talk, we'll talk uh, mentalism and stuff. Um, it's all, we'll talk secrets. But I, I, I love that. And is, are, is this going to be a thing that you're going to get on video so people can actually see it if, they don't, if, not, if they're not there at all? Or? No. Okay. And uh, I did a 10-city tour of Canada with the show, and um, I've done it 10 other times, including at the American Atheist Convention. I don't post recordings of it for a couple of different reasons. One, there are people who make their living doing what I do. Well, I do it for money, but I, I yeah. do it for fun and for education. I don't want to ruin their show. And also if anybody comes up to me because I'm teaching skepticism and says, Hey, for this particular trick, did you do this? I will always answer them. Honestly, I'm not, oh. I'm not like, Oh, I'm not going to tell you if they ask me, how's it done? I won't tell them right. because I don't want to ruin somebody else's show. But if they guess, I will say yes or no. I will always be honest in answering it because I think that if somebody sussed out what I've done, then either uh, they did you know, a good job thinking and that should be rewarded or I didn't do a good enough job of, uh, hmm. of obfuscating what the secret is and they deserve to know that. It's so a pretty interesting I philosophy. I can't say I do that. If someone comes up to me after a show and says, I think I know how you did that, can I ask or can I, if I say it, would you tell me? I'll say no. But if they say it, if they blurt out how they think I did it, I'll almost always answer with something along the lines of, I can see how that could be one way that it could be done. Yeah. You know, I'm never going to lie to them and say, no, you're wrong. But I won't. I also won't tell them if they're right. Um, and that's that's a really interesting way of putting it. It's a little bit of like they've earned the they've earned the respect of a right answer or they've earned the respect of a res- of a correct response from you. So. Yeah, I'm in a slightly different situation in that it I'm, is. Yeah, I mean, you're doing I'm a talk not, about skepticism, so I'm trying to teach people, and right. and usually, it almost never happens. It's been like four times in the last five years. Somebody's come up afterward and said, "Hey, that one thing that you did, I'm I'm almost completely sure you had to do this," mm-hmm. and I won't necessarily be like, "Oh, you're dead on." Uh, if they get close, you know, it's I've answered different ways for different things. I'm not. I'm not in the in the business of giving away uh, secrets. As a matter of fact, I start the show by talking about how and why. If you've came here to learn secrets of magic, I'm not going to be teaching you, and I'm not going to answer those because there are people in the audience who don't want to know how it's done, and I don't want to run it for them. There are people in the audience um, who have more fun guessing and would rather that I be coy. But there are people out there earning their living doing some of the stuff that sure. I'm doing, and I don't I don't want to impact their ability to earn a living or entertain an audience. I get but it. if you think you got the right answer, you can you can come up and ask and I'll be I'll be honest with you. And if nothing that I did here on stage fooled you, I can blow your mind with a rubber band after the show if you want. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, 
if uh, you know on the off chance that you're not familiar with Matt's work, go to just go to YouTube, search Matt Dillahunty, and uh, you'll be amazed at some of the the stages that Matt's been on and and uh, the just pure brain power that he, that he exhibits. So I really do appreciate you uh, both. Uh, for your your studies and as a friend uh, so thank you so much for coming on the show absolutely my pleasure anytime you need me well that's all for this week thank you so much to matt dillahunty for being my guest here's a south floridian member of slytherin thank you for listening to the internet says it's true to listen to episodes ad free and a week early support us on patreon you can do that at patreon.com forward slash michael kent if you learned something just now that you didn't already know, go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That helps us a ton, because that's how the algorithm works. I don't know what an algorithm is, but just do it! See you next week for a brand new episode of The Internet Says It's True! The Internet Says It's True would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make this show possible. Dallas Ray, Sean Brown, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Matt McVeigh, Jim Martin, Joanne Martin, the show's official Emperor Kick Track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge. All audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under fair use Title 17 U.S.C. Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Kent.